Today we celebrate the solemnity of the most holy body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Eucharist in the Universal Church, also known as Corpus Christi in Latin. Corpus Christi literally means the body of Christ. And so it is fitting to prayerfully reflect on the body. Now you may know that uh, in history, anytime we go to two extremes in terms of ideologies, this is kind of basically what an ideology means, uh, we fall into um, error. And when it pertains to very important truths with regard to the understanding of the human person, this can become extremely problematic and it leads to the destruction of the human person. For instance, if you understand communism, when you get the human person wrong, it always leads into destruction and death and mass destruction. So for instance, we need to get the body right and understanding the body. So the Catholic view of the body is that it has dignity and importance. And we need to avoid two extremes. For instance, an overemphasis on the body or not enough emphasis on the body. So where do we see an overemphasis on the body? Well, Pope St. John Paul II, he basically calls out our secular culture for this cult or worship of the body. It is a form of self-worship. So I'm sure we've, we've seen this. Anytime we put a, a hyper-emphasis of the body to the exclusion of basically everything else and making it seem like only the body matters. And this is kind of what sometimes uh, materialists or atheists tend to uh, employ as an attitude. So anytime we see an exaggerated emphasis on the body, for instance, uh, through fitness or through appearance or health or bodybuilding, whatever that might be, and so we see just how exaggerated and how problematic this becomes. It kind of consumes us. But not enough emphasis going the other extreme and not having enough emphasis on the body. So for instance, I'm not going to get into it, but specifically philosophically and as an ideology, one of the many reasons why the gender theory movement is problematic is in its ideology that it gets the human person wrong because it divorces the body's sex from the gender's personality. Basically, the underlying attitude and the assumption is a complete de-emphasis on the body, as if the body is just a vestige of the personality. It's incidental. It really doesn't matter. And therefore, I can disregard it, and I can choose who and what I want to be. Now, my point here is not to get into gender theory movement, but my point here is that when we go to extremes with regard to especially the body, for instance, and what we're referring to, of an exaggerated emphasis on it or a complete de-emphasis, then we fall into serious error. And so the church's view has always been that the body is not everything, and the body is not nothing, but the body does have importance and it has a dignity. Because we know that our body is an animation of who we are. We can't get to know someone. I can't say like, you know, I would really like to get to know you, but can you just make sure it doesn't involve your body? 
it's just, it's just not possible. We can't bypass someone's body. A body expresses also who a person is. And this is why we can also honor our Lord's body, Jesus's body as he got to know us. Now, sometimes people say, you know, I really wish I lived during Jesus's time while he was here on earth because it would have been so much easier to interact with him. It's really difficult to believe that Jesus is really present in the Eucharist, which is actually what Catholics believe. But sadly, 70% of Catholics do not believe that Jesus is really present in the Eucharist. And some would say it would have been so much easier if I lived during Jesus's time because then I would be able to believe well, honestly, I would push back against that because even during Jesus's time, there are very few who would have believed that he was really God because his humanity cloaked his divinity. What most people would see is an ordinary human being and they would say, I'm not really impressed. He doesn't really look like a God. And I would argue, and this is why the, our Lord was able to perpetuate his presence he invents a new way of being with us through the sacrament so that he's no longer limited by space. Because during his earthly life, he would be limited to being at one place at one time. And now, through the sacraments, and especially also in the Eucharist, he can be present to us in thousands of thousands of places all at once. And he is here and now. We have a Jesus who is here and not not a God who is somewhere over there, over the rainbow, and 2,000 years ago. We do not have a symbolic representation. We truly believe that Jesus is present in the Eucharist. And we see this belief also in our practice. And this is why we have, for instance, perpetual adoration, because Jesus continues to remain present in the Eucharist. And this is why there are people who can come and adore him and to be with him and to spend time with him because his presence does not cease to exist. And his presence does not cease to exist. Also, when we receive Holy Communion and after we swallow him, many people act as if he no longer exists. But the reality is, the church teaching has always been, our Lord remains present within us until the Eucharistic species dissolves. And this then becomes a biochemistry question. How long does it take to dissolve a host? Well, it takes about 15 minutes. And that means that every single time we receive Jesus in the Eucharist, we are a living tabernacle for 15 minutes. And uh, the saints believe this. If you know who St. Philip Neri is, uh, one time there was a gentleman who was ignorant. He simply didn't know what he was doing, received Holy Communion and immediately bolted out. And St. Philip Neri, who was a priest, he had two of his acolyte servers immediately follow this gentleman in candlelight procession. And this man came back bewildered and he said, what are you doing? And well, St. Philip Neri said, well, you received our Lord and we do processions when our Lord leaves. So we're simply highlighting the fact that our Lord is still within you. And so that ought to make us think. What could be so important that we need to leave and do something else than to remain with our Lord? In the theology of the Eucharist, there's also the dimensions of the meal dimension, or we sometimes we refer to this as communion or banquets, and also the sacrificial dimension. 
And uh, one of the heresies of um, the Protestant movement was, also with Luther, was to de-emphasize the sacrificial character or nature of the Mass, of the Last Supper, and of the Eucharist. And this becomes highly problematic because they would just say, hey, you know, there's nothing special. It's just an ordinary meal. There's nothing special to it. But, but let me ask you this. What meal do you know can save your soul? If the Last Supper, if Mass, why we're here, does not save your soul, you shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. Why did I drive five, four hours to come here? If the Eucharist really isn't Jesus, and if the Mass isn't sacrificial, if it is not truly Jesus, our Savior, Jesus and Christ, who suffered and died for us in the Paschal Mystery, then we have no point in being here. But on the contrary, the Last Supper and the Mass and the Eucharist is no ordinary meal. It is a sacrificial meal. And as Pope Benedict XVI points out, the reason why that, yes, the Eucharist and the Mass is a meal, but it is not an ordinary meal, because this meal was provided by one who had to die. I don't know about you, I don't think you know anyone else who sacrifices themselves to the point of dying in providing a meal. And that is what our Lord does in the Eucharist. And this is beautifully also uh, illustrated in the short story or movie called Babette's Feast. I don't know if you've ever heard of this movie. It is actually the late Pope Benedict XVI and also our current Holy Father, Pope Francis's favorite movie. I would highly, highly recommend it in as much as, in my opinion, and I take it this is why it's our last two Holy Fathers' favorite movies, in as much as it offers deep insights in portraying Jesus's self-emptying sacrificial love as provided by a meal. And if you can watch it through this lens, you will be truly moved at the depths with which Babette, the protagonist, sacrifices to the point of offering this extraordinary meal for people she doesn't really even know. So today, just very practically, every Mass, we encounter the living Jesus and we come to worship Him. And so we can simply come to a greater cognition and an awareness and a deeper appreciation. We know this. If we don't understand the sacrifice of the giver, it's going to be very difficult for us to appreciate the gift. I'm sure we've recognized, or perhaps we ourselves were that spoiled child where we received the gift and then we threw it away 10 seconds later because we didn't understand the depths and appreciate the extent to which the giver sacrificed. But when we understand how much the giver sacrifices for us, it will give us a greater opportunity to deeply appreciate what we have been given. Do we recognize that our Savior Jesus Christ suffered and died, not just for the masses, but for you, and for you, and for you, and for me, by name? And so the least we can do in justice, in justice we owe our deepest gratitude. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise and thank you for the gift of your sacrificial love. 
for sending your son, Jesus, to suffer and die for our sake, to be with us in providing us this communion meal, this sacrificial meal. Jesus, we thank you for your love. 